Good morning, church. Um, this morning's readings come from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God direct me, directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey that so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Our next reading comes from Psalm chapter 51, verses 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Genesis chapter 8, verses 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. And even, even though through every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Psalm 7, chapter 71, verse 17. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. Psalm chapter 71, verses 5. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for, your, for you, Lord, are good. Chapter, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Psalm 144, chapter, uh, verse 12. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 and 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. Alice, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. What a readings today. <laughs> Larry only gave me that Deuteronomy passage and look where I ended up. So, 
Uh, well, hello again. Uh, two weeks in a row I get to get up here with you and share about um, our emphasis on children and youth. And uh, if you have a good memory, you'll remember last week that I talked on uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 11 to 16. And uh, I made a few observations from the passage about how Timothy, oh, sorry, Paul gives us this first-hand example of what discipleship to young people looks like. Uh, that young people aren't just the future, but they have a place and a purpose right now. We can't wait for them to grow up, but they have something to do right now. They can be an example to us. Serious life doesn't start when we've finished education or we've gotten married or have kids or whatever it is. Serious life starts now. Our youth have serious life right now. There's a way for us as a church community to foster that, to empower them, to seek their growth, to teach them, to bless them. No matter who we are in this place, we have a role to play in this process of empowering our youth to step up into their God-given design. So that's the summary for last week. And uh, this last week I said that that's where we're trying to get to. That, that's the goal. That's the aim. And this week we're talking about how to actually get there. And you'll see that I've kind of got a few different steps there. But how do we actually take our young people, take our young people's community to that place? And while obviously uh, we've just focused on one short little passage last week, uh, this week we're focusing on a big, broad range of how does the Bible talk about youth. So we've got a lot to cover here, so let's pray together and jump right into it. Lord God, we want to empower our young people. We want to live in an intergenerational community that from kids to young adults, that we, we love you, that we're willing to live radical lives of obedience to you, God. As we look at what the Bible says to us, I just want to ask that you would bring it to life in our lives. May my words honor you and be faithful to the truth. Cool. So, also, amen. <laughs> cool. So, as we get started, I want to ask this big foundational question What do our young people need? What do our young people need? That's the question that I want to talk to you about. Uh, as a lot of you know, uh, Alana and I have just had uh, Noah about six months ago. He's six months old. Uh, and we're loving this journey. It's been awesome. We're uh, overwhelmed by how incredible it is to be parents, but it, it's also hard, right? Uh, I'm sure a lot of you know one of the hardest things about being a new parent is, what does this baby need? Or what does it want? Why is my baby crying? What, what's going on here? Uh, one second, Noah's having the best time, playing, giggling, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden he's screaming and is he hungry? Is he tired? Is his nappy need a change? Is he just screaming because he's screaming? Our job as parents is to work out what's going on. What do you need? What do you want? And I'm not naive enough to think that once he can talk, this is going to get much better. Uh, I, th I think we've all seen toddlers throw tantrums, fall on the floor, and it reminded me of a little slideshow I saw on the... Uh, I think we all are pretty familiar that, that kids are... Up to this stuff. I've got a couple of pictures here. That's pretty cute. And here's the last one. We know that our role as adults is to work out what our young people need. It's not necessarily what they always want because what they want is crazy sometimes. But do we know what they need? I wonder in your life, can you differentiate a moment where you went from knowing that sometimes the things that you want are not always the things that you need? I wonder if you know that for yourself. But as a community, our job is to work that out for our young people as well. But that's a huge problem, right? The huge problem is what do they actually need? 
because there are a thousand really good opinions on what our young people need. I googled this and I found a list of someone's seven things on what our young people need in this culture. To be a person of integrity, to make good manners, to make good decisions, to have determination, be a hard worker, choose wisely and always be a student. This is a really good list, right? Uh, But when I was young, I remember my dad talking to me about the idea that the good is often the enemy of the best. I think as I'm getting older, this is becoming more profound to me, that the good is often the enemy of the best. We can get so caught up in chasing good things, in pursuing good things that we miss out on the, the things that we really foundationally need more than anything else. So, again, what do our children actually need? Because it's so easy to settle for these kinds of things, to settle for comfort or fun or, or good manners. It's so much easier to settle for kids that show good morals, that are nice to their friends. It's even easier to settle for our kids feel loved or our kids feel safe. Because these things are all so good. These things are all really important, but they miss the foundational, most important thing in our kids' lives. Uh, I've been, oh sorry, just went a bit too far. I've been uh, listening to a lot of C.S. Lewis lately, and I think I quote him a lot, so I'm sure you guys know how obsessed I am, but um, recently a quote stood out to me, and uh, he basically said that it's a good rule that after reading a new book, to never allow yourself a new one until you've read an old one in between. Basically, he's saying, read old books. Uh, And while obviously I'm talking to a generation of people that probably have a different idea of what an old book is... um, I'm slowly trying to wrestle through and get through some old classic books because there are so many beautiful ones, right? I wonder if you have a favorite book. I'd love to hear it after this, but I'm currently reading J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And again, it's written in 1973, so I don't know if you guys would say that's old. Um, But I'm up to chapter 19, and it's tackling this one topic. It's tackling the topic of the wrath of God. It's a hard topic, it's a challenging one, and Packer says that our greatest need is not social, it's not behavioral, it's to be reconciled with God. Really simply, our greatest need is to be reconciled with God. Unsurprisingly, our youth's greatest need is not that different to an adult's greatest need. All of our greatest need is to be reconciled with God. Personally, I can know how quickly I turn off to saying that we need to tell our kids the gospel. Uh, the gospel is, is such a word that I think we over-familiarize ourselves with sometimes and feel like, oh, I know the gospel. That's kind of like the beginning of Christianity. Let's move on to more complicated things. But the gospel is how we get reconciled with God. It's our greatest need. And Packer says, and rephrases frames my mind and he says the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life it's the A through to Z of the Christian life the gospel is the entirety of the Christian journey we need to be on this journey for the rest of our lives growing in our love for the gospel being increasingly transformed by the gospel and and being more and more excited to share the gospel So like I said, uh, the gospel is our young people's and old people's greatest need, but uh, there's some specific stuff that the Bible also says about how that applies to youth. So as we jump into our readings for this topic, um, you'll notice that there's a lot of Psalms there. Uh, I'm really enjoying the Psalms lately because I love seeing David's heart. I love seeing how David thinks and how he wrestles with topics because it's real. 
It's not just teaching. He's not just telling us how to do things. He's, he's sharing what's going on in his soul. And I think as we see what's going on in David's soul, a man after God's own heart, I think we want to see some of these attitudes in our youth as well. So I've kind of ordered them in a way that hopefully picks up on a few milestones. And here's the list. It's also in your newsabouts there. Uh, to pick up on a few milestones of what it looks like to go from... Uh, a life of meaningless to a life of uh, God-centered gospel obedience that goes beyond all low expectations. Cool, so I want to start off with that one, teach them law. And obviously these first two topics are some of the most heavy, difficult topics in Christianity and we often ignore them, right? Uh, we often just ignore law and sin because they're not pleasant. They're not always fun or bright or happy. But I really want to talk about them because unless we understand these, I don't think we understand the others. Without a firm foundation here, we, we don't get the rest. And I think it's hard because Christianity is sometimes strange because we have this Old Testament and this New Testament. And if you're anything like me, I'm really quick to go to the New Testament. I'm really quick to spend all my devotional time there or to preach from the New Testament. But I think we need to stop and slow down and look at the Old Testament regularly. And because we see these commands to teach law, and I want to look first at Deuteronomy 6. So let me just read it to you again. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you. Teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you may live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. That is a big sentence. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God and the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. As a child growing up in church, I found this idea of law really difficult. I wonder if you've ever really found this idea of law difficult. Uh, for me, rules were there to stop me from doing fun things, right? Laws carry punishments with them. Commands are there because people want me to do things that I don't want to do. The idea of God being a cosmic policeman who's around the corner trying to make me do things that I don't want to is, is really easy to get from a passage like this. It's really easy to see God in a weird light when we only look at this stuff or when we emphasize it too much. We need to be careful with this kind of stuff because it's not the full picture of who God is. It's really tricky because this idea is hard to avoid. So I want to ask the question, why is law so important? Why is it actually important that we do these things? On the risk versus reward scale, there's definitely some risk here. There's definitely some risk that we could misunderstand the whole picture. And when we look at the New Testament, I think it's easy to think, doesn't Jesus make all the law obsolete? We're not living under the old covenant like Simon shared with us. We're living under the new covenant, so why do we care about the law? And this is the whole wrestle that we see Paul wrestling with in Romans 7 and 8. I won't go into it all because there's a lot there. And we could talk about this for ages. But I want to ask the question, does law matter? Because Paul says it can't save us. We know that the law can't save us. 
I hope that if you've been around here long enough that you've met a room full of people that know the law, that actually treasure it, but fall short of it. That uh, try their hardest to keep on meeting the law's requirements, but know that ultimately we're not going to be able to do it. So why do we focus so much on this law? And I want to say simply that the law teaches us what's good. In this world, there's so many different voices telling you what's good, maybe telling you that everything's good or whatever your heart feels like is good is good. The law teaches us black and white what is good, what God has created for us, the plan that he has for us. And it says in these passages, uh, the law is here so that we would fear God and so that we would enjoy long life. God has designed the way that we are desi- designed the way that we are to live. Uh, simply, the law is the best way for us to live. So, what do our kids need? Primarily here, I think the law tells us that they need to know this stuff. They need to know law. They need to do this to enjoy long life and. And they need us to show them what the standard of God's living is. That he actually expects something from him. He actually expects something of us. And this transitions us to the next part as well because our kids need to see the law because otherwise they don't see sin. And sin's really important for us to understand as we keep going. Like I said earlier, sin is one of these other really hard topics to talk about, right? It's heavy. Sin is serious, and our young people need to know how serious sin is. Because before God does anything, what kind of state are we in? Who are we as people? Are we pretty good people that need Jesus to give us that extra little boost to kind of get extra good? Are we almost there and just need a tiny little bit more? The Bible says that we're really not. Here's a few psalm, Here's a few little bits. David says in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Genesis 8.21 is just after the flood, God's, uh, just after Noah. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. That is a heavy statement. That is hard to wrestle with. In Proverbs 22:15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I think I've shared this before, but knowing the gospel and knowing it in its fullness is one of the most important, beautiful things in our whole life. But the first half of the gospel is painful. It's painful to read this. It's painful to grapple with it, to actually admit, yes, that's what's going on in me naturally. But the gospel is this, and I love how Tim Keller puts it. There's two halves here. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I think we need to grasp both sides of this statement. Our young people need to grasp both sides of this statement. Because either one by itself, the first half of sin or the second half of grace by itself doesn't fully make sense. Grace is only grace when we see it as an undeserved gift. Uh, Jesus says basically this exact same thing in Luke 7, 36 to 50. And I won't read the whole story to you. I'll just give you a really quick summary. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with that. Uh, Jesus is uh, sitting with Pharisees in a Pharisee's home and, and sharing a meal with them. And a woman comes into the home and it says in the passage who had lived a sinful life and comes up to Jesus and wipes her hair on his feet pours a jar of perfume on his feet. 
And the Pharisees are like, what is this person doing? If Jesus only knew who she was, he'd kick her out and never let her do this. But we see Jesus flip the table and he says, in, uh, just towards the end of the passage, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. This woman has great love for Jesus because she has experienced radical forgiveness. I wonder, what does radical forgiveness look like in your life? For me, it looks like knowing my sin and then also simultaneously knowing that I'm loved despite it. And Jesus continues to say, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I wonder, do you see the Pharisees here and do you see that they've been forgiven little so that they love little? Is that what's happened in your life? I wonder who you can identify with more in this story. But I would say again that our young people need to see their sin clearly before they can see and treasure how much Jesus' forgiveness is beautiful. Number three, the gospel of grace. Up until this point, we've only talked about justice. We've talked about that there's rules and there's decrees, there's commands, and we've fallen short of them. This is the natural condition of humanity. But uh, as I've already got the slides up here, uh, I think my favorite song in this whole world is Amazing Grace, and it's a beautiful song. I, I love it so much. Here's some of the lyrics to it. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Can you relate to that line? This is the gospel of grace. The precious, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. I hope I say something like this every single time I get up here and preach because we need to hear this incredible truth every day of our lives. Grace is completely undeserved. Grace is completely undeserved. Instead, when we look at the Bible, we see that the punishment of sin is death. We see that the Bible says that we're full of sin, so we deserve death, but we're given life. Have you experienced this in your own life? Because I want our young people to experience this, and our young people will experience this when they go on this journey. Despite the mess we've made for ourselves, Jesus gives us eternal life with him. He gives us righteousness. Do you feel righteous? Do you feel like your slate has been wiped clean? That despite all the sin in your life, he loves you so abundantly. He's wiped it clean, washed you. When you know this truth, I think our soul responds like John Newton does in this song. We sing, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Or we sing like David's heart does in the Psalms, in these verses just here. Because David knows how good God is to him. Do you know how good God is to you? Our young people need to know this. Let me read through these Psalms. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. In Psalm 25, do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. David rejoices in God, and, and it's exciting here. David knows how good God is. And we know that this is before Jesus has even come. David responds like this before he knows Jesus. So how much more cause do we have for rejoicing? How much more cause do we have to celebrate the goodness of God? 
I wanted to give you one of the most condensed, simple little gospel verses that I could find, and uh, Acts 10.43 came to mind. This is something so simple that we can teach it to our kids, that we can remember this, that we can have hope in this. Everyone who believes in him, who believes in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's simple. The gospel is simple at its core. Whoever believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of their sins. Our kids need to know the truth of their sins so that they can see the beauty of the forgiveness that Christ gives us in the gospel. Last point here, fruitfulness. And I'm using the ESV here because the imagery is just slightly different, Uh, but let me read it to you. May our sons in their youth be like plants fully grown. I came across this imagery a little while ago and it stuck with me. Something about it uh, has been resonating in my head. Uh, David's praying that his sons would be like plants fully grown. In their youth that they would be fully grown, mature plants. Mature beyond their years. And the whole idea of a mature plant is a plant that bears fruit, right? Uh, I think that in an agricultural community like David would have lived in, this imagery is even more significant because for us, mature plants, if they don't flower, if we don't have enough food in Australia, we go to the supermarket, we import food from somewhere else and we're fine. For David's culture, if a fruit was, if a fruit was fruitful, if a plant was fruitful or not, literally meant life or death. If their plants bear fruit, they had food. If their plants didn't bear fruit, they didn't have food. For us, spiritually, it is the exact same. If our young people are fruitful, spiritual life will be in this community. If our people aren't fruitful, our community will spiritually die really quickly. Do you know that? Do you know that that's the truth of this place? That we need spiritual fruit for our spiritual lives. The spiritual community will die if we don't have fruitfulness. The whole point of last week's sermon is that kids don't need to wait until they're 20 or 30 to be fruitful, just like this verse says. They have an example to show right now. They have maturity right here in front of them. David's prayer is the same as Paul's calling to Timothy. May our sons in their youth be like plants fully grown. Um, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to skip through these proverbs, but um, here's the last thing that I want to conclude on. What do our young people need? Our young people, the Bible tells us that our young people need law. The Bible tells us to teach it to them. Again and again, throughout the whole Bible, we find it all over the place. The Bible tells us to teach our children law. Law so that they can see their sin and sin so that they can see the beauty of the forgiveness of the gospel. The gospel, the grace of God so that they will be transformed. That they will flourish, that they will become fruitful. If you want to help our youth, though, I wonder, have you been on this journey? Are you still on this journey yourself? Can you sit here and rejoice in the beauty of grace? Can you sit there and say, yes, God is merciful. He is good. Maybe this was all real to you once, and it was a long time ago, and it's kind of feeling like old news to you. I'm going to pray in a minute, and I hope you pray with me, but God calls us to rejoice in this every day. Just like our young people, your greatest need is to be reconciled with God. Reconciled with God through the gospel. The A to Z of Christianity, not just the beginning. And here's the very, very last thing I want to share with you guys. Jeremiah 1, 6-7. And I think it's a pretty good summary of everything we've been talking about. 
This is Jeremiah saying to God, Alas, sovereign God, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Our culture might underrate what young people are capable of. Our culture might say, yeah, just sit on the sidelines, hang out there until you're a bit old enough to participate. It doesn't seem like God does. God has a mission for our young people. There are things that won't happen in this world unless our young people rise up and do them. There are things that won't happen unless our young people do them. Young people, we actually need you guys. So as spiritual big brothers and sisters, maybe as spiritual parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, as a spiritual community, let's seek out our, the flourishing of our young people. Let's help them find their greatest need to take them on this kind of journey. Let's intentionally be on that journey with them. Let me just pray as the band comes up. Lord God, first and foremost, I, I want to ask for fresh revelation of your loving grace. Fresh revelation to your people here today. May we know the gospel in all its fullness. Feel the joy of it. May the rest of our lives be a journey of treasuring your gospel. And in treasuring it, may our love overflow into our young people. Help us to do this intentionally, to be active, to make opportunities. We want to join in your mission to this generation of young people. So God, empower us as we walk in your will. Amen. Thanks, man.